stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. I'll tell you what, I'm everybody in love with all the people that I've been interviewing. I reckon, God, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am because everybody's got a story. Everybody has got something to offer. And if we just extend, you know, compassion and empathy and kindness to everybody, what an amazing bloody world we would have. Speaking of stories... Uh, Today, I'm chatting with Kerry Atherton. She's the founder of Stories of Hope Australia and worldwide, by the way. And she is also the founder of Empower Life Solutions. She's a keynote speaker, author, mental health first aid training presenter and event host, trauma and addictions recovery counsellor, as well as a whole lot of other things. And and a trigger warning at... um, 18, she planned suicide, but then ended up walking through the doors of a 12-step program. And that was 40 years ago. And she has remained clean and sober and spends her time now helping other people, counseling other people and bringing hope. But she also helps other people share their stories to bring hope to those listening. This is a fabulous episode. Um, Listen along. You are going to love Kerry. She is so, so empathetic, compassionate and utterly beautiful. So let's get into it. So welcome, Kerry. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Now, you and I have connected, I reckon, three years ago, and, and we still, it's taken us this long to get together, but I'm so bloody excited about it. You have got a remarkable journey, and, you know, you're doing remarkable things now, uh, you know, and I absolutely love it when people have adversity. I don't love that people have adversity, but I love it when it can be you know, then moved into the future, you know, and support a whole heap of other people. I just think that's so, I think it's beautiful and I think that's what's needed and I wish more people had the courage or the strength and I'm not bagging them if they don't, but because it takes a lot to put yourself out there. But thank you for doing that. It's so, so beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited talking to a creative as well. That's right. Yeah, two musos here. So, and actually, uh, not right now, but we're gonna. There's, I know a story that we share that's um quite interesting. You guys are gonna really love this story. And I, I've talked about my thyroid before and losing my losing my uh, musical spark. And Kerry's got a very similar story. So, I think if there's anyone out there listening who's sort of lost a creative desire at some point, you're gonna find this, uh, you know, quite an interesting conversation. But that's not all we're gonna talk about because. Because um, you've created Stories of Hope and a number of other things, which we'll, we'll cover. But Stories of Hope Australia is, you know, the, the 
the one thing that, well, one of the things that you're extraordinarily passionate about because you want to bring hope. And give us a snapshot about of that because then I want to ask you about your background and how you got into it. Yeah. Well, Stories of Hope is a passion project. So it's a platform that I started around five years ago now. And it came after a very dark period in my life, but one where I just felt like I couldn't stay in that place. And I had a light bulb moment that I had to use my pain for others' gain. And so I, I realized at that point that I had come out of, of so much in my life and that I actually by sharing those stories could bring so much hope to other people. So I started this platform at, at the local Sands Tavern and I invited two people, a man and a woman, every month to share their stories and I put that on free for the community and that was has been running for around five years now. But when I started it, what I didn't realise was just what it would do for the person that was sharing their story. I just had this massive vision of all these people in our community coming and finding hope um, knowing that they weren't alone in their difficult time and that someone had come out the other side. But then I'd have a lot of the speakers would come up to me afterwards and, and guys, you know, as well, that have tears in their eyes and they're like, thank you for giving me a voice. This is the first time that I've ever shared this stuff in public. So it was just had this massive, like, two-, three-fold effect and um, just went on to... I don't know, ch change and help so many people. And that was just something that I love so much. Wow. There is so much um, healing power in sharing our voice. And we've, we've often got this um, a, a very dodgy belief. Nobody wants to hear what I've got to say. You know, my story is not interesting. And, and the truth is it doesn't have to be interesting. It has to just be authentic and has to come from the heart and from a true place of a true deep place, you know, that's um, raw and other people feel that. And even so it's helpful for people who are going through it or have been through it, but it's also, it also connects you to the empathy and compassion of everyone around you. And I think that's critical too, because we, it's very easy to dismiss another person's pain, you know, if, if you're not feeling it or if you're not involved or you're not aware of it. And I think that when we do recognise the pain of others, even if we're not feeling their story or their, their same issue, I think that then we can then have a lot more empathy for those around us and a lot more compassion and, and be buggered. That's what the world needs. The world needs us to love each other a lot stronger. So. Oh, yeah. And loneliness is an epidemic and I've battled a lot of loneliness in my life and I'm a counsellor and I would have a lot of clients coming to me and express, you know, I've never told anybody this, Kerry, you know, I feel like I can tell you. But when I go outside back to my normal surroundings, I feel so alone. So I thought by also creating these events, I was creating a connection point for people. And so many people have met up through those events and gone on to form really meaningful bonds and relationships. But the one thing was that I wanted it to be everyday people. Yeah. And I think that that's what's so special. Occasionally I'd have someone that was well-known, but it, it was those, like you said, it was those everyday people that would say, I don't think anyone really wants to hear my story. Yeah. But they don't realise what that did for every other person that felt that way. 
and mm. gave them permission to wherever they are share their story mm. and what it did for the people telling the story I, I, I think it's beautiful now you didn't um you didn't start as you said you wanted to share your pain or you know you, you wanted to use your pain for other people's gain which I think is a beautiful selfless act and I would I just wish we saw more of that because if we actually realize that all of us None of us are perfect and all of us have some shit going on, you know, and we all put on a mask and we all try to pretend everything's fine. You know, that when you're doing stuff like what you're doing and bringing it out, everybody starts to go, ah, you know, maybe I can be a bit more vulnerable because really I do have a lot of shit and I'm, and I'm scared shitless. I'm human. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, the human. Yeah. Oh, dear. But you, so... So you have gone through quite a lot of shit and I, I, whatever you're comfortable sharing, I don't know if you're comfortable about your childhood or whatever, but just give us a, give us a, like a, a view of who's, who is Kerry, who was Kerry, Do you, you know, how did it get to, what was your, what was your um, life like before the, this big epiphany? Well, Kerry as a young girl was a very traumatised young girl. Um, full of fear. Uh, I thought everyone was laughing at me all the time. Terrible fear of humiliation. I had two um, pivotal traumatic events uh, when I was seven and nine years old in my life. And I share about that quite openly. One day going to ask my mum for my favourite purple dress and seeing her attached to the washing machine screaming and she was being electrocuted. Oh, shit. Yeah, and oh. she, she died and came back to life. But I oh. didn't think I was ever going to see her again because we were taken to the neighbours and she she came back from hospital the next morning. But a terrible fear set in for me that day, mm. abandonment. And I already suffered a little bit with that because my mum was an alcoholic and she drank till I was 12. So things were very unsettled at our home my, my dad was an alcoholic as well but he'd stopped drinking before I was born because he watched both his parents die from alcoholism before he was 30 and so we we had a very loving parents but I felt very insecure as a child and I felt different you know it's, it's something that you often hear in the 12 step rooms people that have been feel like they've been born like alcoholics you know and then when I was nine, I was sexually assaulted on holidays by a pedophile and it ended up being the son of the owner of the holiday cabins. And in those days, you didn't have credit cards, so you gave your, your name, address and everything. Yep. And so my parents had taken me to the police and that person knew where I lived. And so I went back to Sydney in terror, thinking that he would track me down and kill me. And I had no safe haven at home or at school. Um, I was being bullied at school as well at the same time. And 10, I had a breakdown and I was taken to a psychiatrist and put on medication, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. So I just wanted to escape, you know, from life. I, the fear, the, I felt like a raw exposed nerve. I, um, Go, going to, to school or anything was very traumatic for me, yet staying home was traumatic because of this fear that I had mm. in my own home. 
Uh, so I became addicted to those prescription medication. And when I was seven, though, fortunately, my mum my and dad got me piano lessons. And my dad was a jazz musician by night and a salesman by day. Mm-hmm. And I was just enamoured by the piano. And it was really a saving grace for me because when I had nobody I felt like I could talk to, no way of expressing my feelings. I could just pour it all out on the piano. Mm. And so that really became like a massive saving grace for me. But at 15, I discovered alcohol and both my mum and dad had been become sober by this stage. And the first drink just felt, I just felt like it coloured me in and I felt normal for the first time in my life. And I thought this is what I need to help me get through and this is my new best friend. And I didn't have hardly any friends because I couldn't do relationships properly. You know, I didn't even, didn't even hated myself, you know, as a person. Like I used to say, God, I don't know why you made me be born. And I just despised myself. And I think that I had a lot of, I was carrying a veil of shame, shame for the family alcoholism, shame for the the sexual assault, shame for just being me, you know, and feeling like I did. But my alcoholism journey was uh, not a long one. I ended up hitting rock bottom at 18 and that was the day that I planned to end my life. Mm. And I'd been in abusive relationships um, and I'd just totally lost hope. And I'd had a mental health problem so from an early age and I had severe depression, severe anxiety, severe PTSD. Uh, But I heard a voice that day say, don't do it. If you hang on a bit longer, you'll find happiness one day. Wow. Whether people are religious or not, that to me, I felt like that was the voice of God giving me another chance, you know, and and I had been saved from, I actually overdosed one night in a nightclub and was lying, was hovering above my body, watching myself on the floor, you know, as close to death or probably crossing over. And I've been saved from some very, you know, dodgy situations before. And so I went to to a 12-step program and um, I got sober. And I'd been in and out of those rooms with my parents, you know, but I never thought it was for me. And I'd always dreamed of becoming a famous musician or actress, but alcoholism and drug addiction stole my dreams. But at 18, I found life again in the rooms of AA. Wow. Did you, um, like, like, what... So, you know, at 18 you decided to take your life and, well, you know, and you you didn't do it. But so was that enough? Was that enough for you to say, where do I go from here? Where can I get help? Like, you know, because you ended up in the 12 Steps program. Did you did you know that? It, well, you knew it existed because of your parents. So was that your first port of call or did you go and see a, a counsellor or a psychologist and they sent you there or how did you get the help? I'd been under the care of a psychiatrist who incidentally was in Alcoholics Anonymous as well. Since I was 10, I was under the care of a psychiatrist. But nothing helped me, Karen, and it was because I was in active addiction. Um, Maybe the psychiatrist saved me from taking my life uh, or ending my life by suicide earlier because I had been suicidal for a long time. 
I used to smash my head into walls because I just um, had just hated myself, hated my life. And it was just, you know, I don't know, it was a form of self-harm. But I had always um, just thought, I just don't know how I can go on another day. And I didn't want to die. And you hear this often with people that are suicidal or that attempt suicide. They, we, they don't want to die. They just don't know how to live mm. anymore. But I think that I knew in the back of my mind, um, I knew AA did work. And to me, hearing that voice was like, there is a life for you. Don't, you know, go out and find the, the next thing, which I knew was the last thing. If that didn't work, I would have made a plan. Yeah. But I, I guess I just really hit rock bottom and rock bottom looks so different for every addict and alcoholic. A lot of people that come to me for counselling think that they have to have, you know, had DUIs, ended up in, a, you know, a psych ward, um, lost their family, had relationship breakups, and they're definitely all signs and things that someone has an, a, an addiction out of control. But everyone's rock bottom is different. And I think that's a very important thing for people to realise. You, your rock bottom's not going to look like someone else's. When the pain gets enough for you, pain is the greatest motivator of change. Yeah. And I'd had enough pain. I, I couldn't go on the way I was going any longer. Mm, it's an absolute um, fork in the road, isn't it? You, you know, it's uh, so, unfortunately some people go one path and, others go the other I wish more could just see just have enough of a push or a pull to go the good path you you know because we lose too many too many good people and and it's freaking sad but the well there's no but or just probably an and but and and we get to that um y intersection and you know how do you when you're standing because I just so we can understand this when you're standing at that y intersection to go the good path do you think it's hope i mean i know you do stories of hope you've talked about hope i've got a big thing about resilience you know with optimism and hope sitting underneath it that keeps us getting up do you reckon hope was that key factor that you know that that pulled you in the other direction well, you know what it was? It was seeing hope in action. So in those 12-step rooms before me, I went to seven meetings a week. So every night I was sitting there for two hours listening to six people a night get up and share their hope story. Was that with your parents? Before? No, well, well, that they did go. We did sometimes all go together, actually, yes. Yeah, it was a family affair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but when I went, I was actually one of the two youngest people in the rooms at that time. Uh, but I was, I was hearing these stories over and over again and I was seeing it right before my very eyes. And that's the power of people getting up and sharing what's in here and getting it out. You know, so now some people would just get up and say, I've had an absolute crapper of a crap week you know and this has happened and that's happened and and then they'd sit down Mm. but but, you know 
their story right then mightn't have been that hopeful at the time, but it made us realise that we can get up and we can say what we want and we're not going to be judged. Yeah. And I think that that's a really key thing in society today, that people don't share the dark feelings because they're scared of being judged by people. Yep. And then, and then after that comes exclusion. I'm fear of being judged and then you're going to exclude me and nobody, human beings don't want to be kicked out of the tribe like human beings. And also when people are sharing their stories too, when, when they're saying, oh, I've had an absolute crap week, it's also giving permission, isn't it, to say, well, we're human beings and, you know, I might not be having any major bloody transformation this week, I'm, but I'm still here. And, and life is about shit times often did yeah but you can still have a shit week and you can still have hope hope for a better tomorrow hope that next week will be better and hope that tomorrow will be better and yeah absolutely yeah. and it's my life with like-minded people yeah you know I had to get away from a lot of people that were not good for my life and even today you know, I choose wisely who I spend my time with yep yep I don't, I mean, I counsel people for a living, um, you know, but when when I'm in my downtime, I want to be spending time with people that um, are uplifting for me and that have the qualities and values that are, are similar to me. Mm. You know? So we can sharpen each other and and speak positivity into our lives. I'm, I, I can't afford any pity parties. No, but there's a lot of it around and there's a lot of um, toxic people in all over the place. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to rephrase that and say toxic behaviours because rather than labelling individuals as toxic, you know, their behaviour is toxic. And and they're very hard to get away from. It takes a lot of strength, you know, for somebody to say that person is really influencing me in a bad way but we feel then like we're being, well, can, we can. Some people feel like, well, I'm being judgmental if I judge them for the way they're behaving. And But but at the end of the day, we've got to, it's about putting ourselves first and being kind to ourselves first. And I know that sounds selfish to some people, but it's not because we're not good to anybody. If we're, if we're completely turning rotten because of a couple of bad eggs in a bunch, you know, and it's, I think I believe every single person is a magnificent human being with yeah. so much to offer the world. And I just think that we're surrounded by, well, behaviours and situations that are just constantly pulling us down into zombie land, you know, and telling us that we're no good. And, you know, we're never, ever turning our lights on fully because of all this. And so I think it's really good to recognise those people around you that are, uh, exhibiting that behavior and are pulling you down and, and try to remove yourself and sometimes we can't because they're, they're family or you know something like yeah, that but yeah we can put in boundaries and say yeah. well when you're talking like that you know okay well I've had enough I'm going to go make a cup of tea or we can cut off conversations or we can question them and say well why do you feel like that like what happened that makes you feel like the whole world shit it, it, maybe it was just one person that you, you know, we can kind of challenge them a little bit. And I know not everyone's got the strength to do that, but it, it would be it would be better if we did, really better. Some people just need to be shown the, the skills to how to make a different life and how to think differently about things. Yeah, yeah. So many people are stuck in, you know, victim mentality mindsets. And, you know, they don't want to be like that, but no one's ever probably shown them how to step out of that. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I agree. And I think that um, school, what we learn in school, I mean, yeah, look, it's valuable. We do our maths and we can write <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But but we, I reckon we need to, there needs to be a whole well-being stream, you know, and, and there is now, but it's not, it's still not bloody good enough. But it, it about how do we cope? How do we recognise our emotions? How do we deal when we're in a difficult situation? How do we communicate effectively with people? How do we extend compassion and kindness? And I reckon those things need to be part of, uh, you know, part of our learning when we're a kid because... That's when we can be moulded, and and I don't mean bloody manipulated, but we can be moulded to care more and think more. And 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 Margaret Mead has a great saying: we should be teaching kids how to think and not what to think. And I think when as a as a kid, if you learn how to think and you learn about uh, you know contribution, you learn about um, caring for something beyond yourself, you become a far more functional adult. Do, you know, and we don't have all these people trying to be fixed and I don't like that word but as adults do you know it's um but any anyway um so I want to you know you you you've been doing counseling and a lot of stuff before you started stories for hope and you know that's that was the journey you went on because you wanted to help people now there are there and this is not a criticism to others but there are some uh, counselors out there and psychologists who have never never been through what the person coming to them has been through. But yeah. if you've got people that are coming to you through for, a, a, you know, addiction and all that kind of stuff and men, you know, mental breakdowns or everything that you've been through, do you, do you reckon it has a bigger impact on them when they're talking to somebody who says, I get it, oh, God, I get it, I've been there? 100%. And I've had so many clients, you know, um, you know, I can think of three guys in the last couple of weeks that have come to me for battles with alcohol and they'd been to see, you know, a psychologist or counsellor um, that had no experience, lived experience in that, and they said that they just didn't get it, you know, and mm. they said it it's so important for them to know that the person that they're speaking to for help has, understands the journey. Yep. And I do think that, look, I think people can help people with knowledge, but I really feel that the most effective treatment for anybody going to see a psychologist or counsellor, the most effective, I think, is somebody who has the knowledge plus the lived experience of what that person's going through. Yep. Yep, I agree. I think, and I think that what we should say so that we don't get ourselves in legal trouble um, is, is that we should be, you know, the, 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 the thing is um, not every counsellor, not every psycho psychologist or psychiatrist has has that lived experience and we, we probably shouldn't devalidate them. But no, no, because they're still, they're, they can still be very good and very, very. Absolutely. Important. But I think, I think the key to this is get help anyway like so go to get the go right to, help get the right help go to the right therapist for your situation is is more what i'm meaning to say and i think no 100 no, no i'm fully with you but what, yeah. what i'm trying to say is like instead of going oh they won't get me or that one doesn't get me or that one just start with one for god's sake reach out and start with one and then if that person's not helping you think well okay who who else could then i move to but but i think 
the thing I'm, I don't want people to do is say, I'm not going to get help because I don't know who's had experience. But I reckon you've got to start with someone. You've got to reach out. You have to get help, you know, because otherwise you're, you're just going to go down a bloody slippery slope. But everyone thinks they can fix themselves. But um, there's, a, there's a line, I reckon, there's a line you cross that you just, you're too far down, you know, that you, you just don't have the capacity to pull yourself back out of that hole. But I oh, totally agree. Oh. I think I think though, you know, for anyone listening too, I mean, there's a lot of other things out there that just require people to do a quick one or two week course and then they're seeing clients, you know. Yeah. People that that are really struggling need to go to their doctor and they they need to either get a referral to a psychologist or talk to their doctor about medication. If they've also found a counsellor that they gel with, that's fantastic. But really, that's the first point of call. Like you said, reach out to a professional person who is who is trained in what they're doing. Mm, yep, hundred percent. Now you started um, also like prior to Stories of Hope. You, you started the uh, Streetlight, which was for oh, yeah. um, homeless and disadvantaged youth. So. Oh, I can imagine how much they got from that. So tell us about that. What? Well, that was really interesting because I have always had a heart for people that are down and out in life, having sat in the 12-step rooms for 40 years, people who have hit skid row, sitting, you know, I'd sit down at the Matthew Talbot in Sydney at King's Cross next to homeless people in meetings and stuff. And so I've always had a desire to help those people. But my husband, he had never really had any problems in his life. And I think he would kind of see all this work that I was doing. And I I think in a sense he kind of felt like he was missing out. (laughs) And so he actually said, you got to be careful what you pray for sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) He actually said, oh, please, God, can you give me a heart of compassion? (laughs) He wanted to know what it was like to be a compassionate person because he'd never really um, had the need or knew how to really express that. So all of a sudden he gets this desire to start a homeless, you know, type ministry or set up to help people that were homeless. And I said, look, rather than, you know, just starting from scratch and trying to invent something ourselves, let's go and get on the back of what someone else is doing and help them. And we we will learn the right way to go about it. So we joined an organisation called Rosie's and we fed the homeless at Caloundra in a park on Saturday nights. And we just love that, you know, that there's, there's just something so special about connecting with, with people just for who they are, you know, um, in their rawness Mm. and seeing the joy that that brings. You know, the first night they said, don't touch the patrons. And this one lady asked me for a hug. And I I thought, no one's looking, yes, I'm going to give her a hug because I, I, I couldn't deny that to her, you know. And tears started streaming down her face. Oh, She shared with me that she hasn't been physically touched by anyone or had a hug or any affection was something like about 12 years. Oh, God. And she just hung on like she never wanted to let go. And just physical affection for a per- people need physical affection. 
And so it was such a wonderful experience. And then we went on to start this other thing. And, and in the end, um, when we did leave, you know, there were 70 volunteers that we'd built up and uh, we were feeding people up, the, up at the local park. Sometimes 30 people would come up there and we'd give them food hampers and we would just be there and just love and accept them right where mm. they were at in life. Oh, and, and they just used to, to say, I just can't believe that you guys, you know, are here for us. And, you know, they've, some would say if you knew what, what we'd done or who we really were, and we're like, you pet, you're human, like, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and you've mentioned it too. And something that I say all the time, it's like a catchphrase that I, I made up was, you know, that at the end of the day when the lights go out, it doesn't matter who we are, what we do, how much we earn. We're all the same. We're emotions in skin. Yeah. And, and I just feel as, as a human that we should treat other people exactly that way. Yeah, I agree. With love, love and respect and compassion. I've got another, I, there's a great saying, and I'm not religious at all, at, at all, but there is a, a great saying that I absolutely love, and the, the sun shines just as warm on a sinner as it does a saint. And I just love that because... You know, at the end of the day, we can all screw up. It, you know, it's, I just think it's do you continue to screw up? And if you're continuing to screw up, maybe you need to have a good look at what you're doing. But, you know, we, 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 do, make, um, we do make mistakes and I think yeah. we mean forgiveness. But I absolutely love that. And, oh, God, that story. That's that beautiful. Woman. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I love what you're doing. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I love the same. Oh, I do love the same. But what? what your oh. stories from that is that's just um it's so heartwarming and so there was one night where, where a guy came up hardcore drug addict and told us that he was you know um off off the stuff and that he needed money for food for his family and nap for nappies and uh you know, we're not meant to give him, you know, anything like that. But so my hubby went over and um bought him some nappies but he actually had gone in the next day and tried to get the money back for the nappies yeah because <laughs> <laughs> he wanted them for the money for drugs you know but uh yeah so many stories and you know I must say two or three of those people their lives went on to transform so amazingly yeah they ended up coming and working for me as a mentor in my mentoring program in the school that I was working at Wow. I ran Isn't a mentoring that... program and they mentored some young kids that were going through really hard times oh. and families of their own. And it, there's just so many amazing stories from the people that used to come up to that park. Oh, my God. I love that. I love we, we should never give up hope on people. We should. We just shouldn't. You know, it's, um, I, you know, I, I sound like an old bossy boots. We should and we shouldn't. And, you know, but at the end of the day, if someone someone doesn't draw the hard line, no one will. So we shouldn't give up on them. End of story. We don't want people to give up on us, do we? So no. we've got to treat people how we want to be treated. Yeah. We hear that a lot, but it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell us about your musical journey because, you know, you mentioned before about your I said at the start, you know, there's something in common, but you also said about um, playing guitar and I, I think that. Piano. I mean, piano, what am I talking I'm, I'm doing my own, I'm dreaming out the window <laughs> thinking about my own guitar. and But it, piano, but it, it's um we, 
we, I think we under, under underestimate the value of music and the power of music. And, and, and if you look at um, music worldwide, even if we don't understand the words, it, 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 the vibration and the rhythm and the everything connects us on any level, you know, like it's a very emotional yeah, yeah. level. And there are a lot of people who have got, um, uh, I'll just say issues, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just stuff going on. And they they really focus in on music. You know, they'll play the guitar in their room or they'll play piano. And 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 I know myself, and you know, it, you enter another world. So for anybody who doesn't play an instrument, you might think that's a bit kooky, but you kind of enter another world. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? a cone of of cone of um, euphoria almost when you when you sit. So so well, all the endorphins are released when we're playing. When you're actually participating in an activity, more endorphins are released than if you're sitting there just listening to something. Ah, uh, well, then everyone should get it. See, I'll do it. Should again. Go. You should yeah. all play an instrument. Go, go, yeah. go. When you were when you were young, you know that was hiding your pain. It was keeping and and as you got to eighteen and you you know you went through your twelve step journey and everything. Did you continue to play piano then, or or how did it pan out through your life? It did. When I was in sixth class at school, I did fifth grade piano and I had missed um, a bit of the, like one, um, you know, year of theory because the practical, I was much better at the practical because yeah. my dad has had taught me improvisation and my dad and I used to jam together all the time. So it built a, a, an amazing connection with my father. Yeah. Uh, and we'd do that every weekend. Uh, so, so when I went to high school, I went to a, um, a Catholic girls' college and the nuns wouldn't take me because my theory was one grade behind. Oh. And my dad and mum said, we'll jam them. And <laughs> went out, they went out and found, uh, at the time he was really famous, he was a singer named Sandy Scott, but they went out and found his piano player, Kevin McMullen, if you're listening, and he was one of the best jazz piano players in Australia and they got me lessons off him. So right through my addictions, you know, my mum still drove me to that piano lesson and I, I think I'm, I might have had six months off or something, but he said to me at 16, uh, you are absolutely fantastic and he said you've got a career as a professional mu jazz musician wow. he said I really want you to go to the conservatorium when you leave school and I said oh, I've got a better plan than that Kevin because we know best at 16 um, I'm going to actually go and get a job for a year and I'm going to save really hard and then I will be able to have some money to support myself through the conservatorium well, my addictions just went out of control and stole my dreams and I never, ever got to the conservatorium and, it, you know, life had a different path. I haven't ended up as a professional musician. I've ended up as a counsellor. Um, but I continued to play for, for a long time and I'd jam with my dad and I wrote about 50 songs. Wow. And I moved up here to the Sunshine Coast and I started teaching the piano. So I kind of fulfilled a little bit of a dream because even though I couldn't 
play professionally. I had played in a few restaurants and stuff like that in Sydney and a few church, like churches and stuff. But I thought even though I can't play as a professional, be a professional musician, I'll be a piano teacher. So I taught for 10 years up here. But I wrote my last song uh, a year and a half after I moved up here and then my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And I also um, am a singer and I'd had uh, years of sing singing lessons as well. And after my mum was diagnosed with cancer, I couldn't sing. And I never wrote another song. And I know that you get that because you've been through a, a, a journey, losing your voice for a different reason. Mm. Um, I can sing again now. It's taken a long time, but it was just like my joy had just totally left me. Uh, I continued to play the piano, but then my dad died five years later and I couldn't sit down on the piano without becoming hysterical because all I wanted to play was the songs we played together and it was just too too traumatic so I didn't play the piano anymore either but I've just got back into my music in the last year oh beautiful and how's your voice has your voice come back yeah it's like yeah you know you know in the late 50s and I'm like oh I want to join a band <laughs> Fantastic. I really do. If someone if anyone's out there and wants to start a band, hit me up. <laughs> so your voice gets better as you get older. Oh, I do too. My voice got way better as I got older, but and mine's a different story, you know, but I'll I'll keep mine brief. Most people know it, you know, and I had my thyroid out and then I and then I couldn't sing because well they said to me, the surgeon said to me, you know, you'll never ever sing again. And I don't even know if you'll ever speak again. And I was horrified. I thought, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do? You know, and um, but I did, I could, I whispered for about the first week and then my, my voice started coming back. But singing, because your thyroid is so close to your vocal cords, you know, and when they, like your vocal cords are nice and tight. And then when they take your thyroid out, they just turn to sloppy. They're just like guitar strings that have been loosened right off. And oh, so wow. I couldn't, I couldn't hit any notes. And I, you know, the, the funny thing is I think that music is an identity to us. You know, music is in our blood. And I know that's for non-musicians that might be hard to understand. It, it is actually something in our blood that we, it, it felt like you said you lost your joy. You know there is something about it that it's like an addiction, actually, in a good way. That that when you are a musician, born to create, it's 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 powerful. And then so what I did was I um I just did the whole tough thing, you know, and oh well, that's okay. I can't sing. Um, I'm just going to speak, and I'm just going to do blah blah blah. And that's fine because you know I'm doing a pop, do pop, do a podcast, or what have you. But it's 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 um it's sort of the whole I hit an I hit an emotional rock bottom at the start you know 2020 and that was my one sister had a cardiac arrest we had the bushfires COVID hit you know my whole business went to shit like so there was a, I think it was just um me being so tough for so many years and oh she'll be right she'll be right and I think um I hadn't expressed enough emotion and it came crashing down but the point is and what I did was I threw the music out. And I went, oh, well, that's my past. That doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, you know, I'm talking to someone who understands that it's it's you, you actually throw away a part of you, you know, uh, the part that brings you the joy. And 
So in in um, COVID, I started playing a song a day, and I still wasn't very good, but I did it anyway. But I still, I still, Yay. I still didn't have the drive. I still didn't have. Yeah. The, can you sing now, or do you sound like a female, like Jimmy Barnes, or something? I, I always did sound I love like Jimmy a female Barnes. Jimmy Barnes. Jimmy Barnes, I love you. <laughs> oh, I always sounded like a female Jimmy Barnes, but um, and Janis Joplin. So that. that oh is, yeah, yeah. This, this voice is still my uh, my normal normal voice that I had before, but uh, no, I can only do one song, and then it, uh, it I can't express the pain in my throat. It's like. Um, it, it's like I've got a really bad cold or the flu, you know, as soon once I sing one song. So I don't want, I don't want the pain, you know, like it's too much for me, but, um, but God, I get it. So I am so, and I get the pain of when there's, um, you know, I lost my sister, but that really didn't have much to do with music. But when you, when you, when you're talking about you're sitting down and your, your dad's not there, do you know, there's that gap and that space and, it's almost like no matter what I have to contribute, it's only half the contribution and I can't, you know, there's that saying, it's another religious saying, when two or more two or more of you gather in my name, I am there, you know, call it God, call it anything. It's just this energy, this energy when two people get together and yeah, then when there's three, right. it amplifies and so when you when you make you're sitting at the piano making this music, there's this there's this bulk energy that comes in a ton, and half of it's not there anymore, you know. So it's a, it, I get the pain. It's, yeah. I'm, but I'm so glad you're doing it now. I'm so bloody glad because, well, COVID put me back into it because I had a whole lot of mates in Victoria. You know Michael Gallus? Yeah, yeah. No, that's how we yeah. met. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, Michael was struggling, and so was you know Connie, and and so and so I got with got Matt Collins as well, and I said, "Radio, I'm going to put a music trivia night on for you guys." And it ended up being a bit like, "Hey, hey, it's Saturday night." <laughs> it was just like a dog's breakfast, but I had to learn fast, you know. So I came up with some new songs, and I was singing and playing the piano, and that's what got me back into it. And I thought, "This brings joy." Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be up for music trivia night any time if we if you want to we can organize one. <laughs> that sounds pretty good actually. I just but I love it. But isn't it funny how you just um how other people's pain can bring you to a place like like I always say this, if you're suffering yourself, help somebody else because yeah, that heals definitely. your pain. So, so you've reached out and, you know, helped them in their, in their time of need and, and, it, and it's brought just so much immense joy to you and, and, and reignited that beautiful musical flair again and, oh, my God, I love yeah. that. I <laughs> love it. I bet you feel happier. I bet you feel f- more full and more joyous and more complete don't you? Oh, I do. I do. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <sighs> well, for anyone listening, if you don't experience music or you haven't, just get a guitar. Just, just off the bench and get, get yeah, one. just just drum it. Like just even if you can't play, just make make that vibration, that, that frequency that goes out into the universe and spreads. Oh, I got a lot. Oh, I could talk about this for hours, but let's talk about Empower Life Solutions because yeah. this is this is your um your work now is you know your your business now and so what are you what are you doing with that 
Well, with Empower Life Solutions, um, it's kind of like the, the business arm that supports Stories of Hope. Yeah. And stories, stories of Hope is and still it's always has been like a voluntary thing. Um, done two books with Stories of Hope and working on a third at the moment. Yeah. Empower Life Solutions is just what I set up when I um, left my job in the school and it's counselling, public speaking, and also mental health first aid training. Wow, I love that. I love that. And and um, when you speak, are you speaking about your journey as well, you, you know, and, and just sharing what you're doing and that sort of stuff? Yeah, and it's interesting because I a lot of it's come since I started Stories of Hope. Yeah. And people want to hear about Stories of Hope and how I started it and why I started it, and that's created an opportunity then for me to share different things about my story. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as you would probably understand, there's so many different topics that I could talk on yep. extensively for a long period of time because I've been through so many different things. Uh, but I became a, an ambassador for the Fearless Organisation, the PTSD organisation at the beginning of the year. Yep. And that's also opened a few doors for me to talk about PTSD and my battle with that as well and trauma. So I think people just really want to hear stories of, you mentioned the word at the beginning of resilience, because we're in such an uncertain world and the thing that people are battling with now more than ever is uncertainty and with uncertainty comes fear and anxiety. So people that have battled uncertainty and are still standing and have come out the other side and can do the journey strong, I think that that is what people need to hear and that's what people want to hear today. And yeah. so that's what I, I talk about a lot. Oh, that's good. And that would be so valuable. And in your in the store, in the books, like are you are you covering is sort of like um um, other people's stories, you know, a whole lot of other people's stories in there. Yeah, this this is one of them here. Yeah. And the other one's got a blue cover. And in there is 12 of the people that have spoken at my local events. And the other book is another 12 people, six women and six men, all totally different stories from accidents, mental health, falling off a cliff, being pinned oh. underneath the car. Oh bipolar suicide attempts so they're all people that are walking in victory and have overcome their past and working on the third book now which came out of me starting an online part of stories of hope when when our events closed down yeah which is stories of hope worldwide and so when COVID hit I started interviewing people from around the world that had come out the other side of hard times and that's resulted now in a podcast that I'm start setting up um, which will be released soon and a book called light bulb moments through the eyes of men oh that'll be good yeah and I really wanted to dedicate this book because I do a lot of work with men's mental health yeah and because the suicide rate of men is so high that's why I really wanted to do this book just of men I I will do one maybe for women you know next but uh, this is 16 of the men that have shared on my stories of hope worldwide and I've had some amazing 
stories in this book. Oh, my God. And those books are just going to keep coming because you're not going to give up on this. And, and so, you know, the, the, you're just going to keep, keep writing these. And compilation book was what I was trying to think of. So where can people get those books? Because, you know, I'm sure people are going to go, God, geez, I'd love to read some of those stories. So where are they? Well, so they can get it at www.storiesofhope.com.au. Stories yeah. of Hope www.storiesofhope.com.au. Oh, fantastic. Not Stories of Hope Australia I had in my head for some reason. No. Well, I, I called it that only because when you Google Stories of Hope, so much stuff comes up and so yeah. I wanted it to be something that was unique. So I added the Australia. But now that I my, my goal is my mission is to spread hope all around the world. Mm. I've got some amazing people now on a team working with me behind the scenes, all voluntary, to make this happen. How fantastic is that? You know, and it's about getting people on your mission, isn't it? That's the whole thing. It's and and getting people to um, if you you're obviously making people feel very valued, or they wouldn't be volunteering with you. Do you know that? That's. Yeah. Mm, I think that's beautiful. I've absolutely loved this conversation. Absolutely love it. Um, Me too. <laughs> I want to. I want to ask you a, a, a question though. Just to, if anybody's listening and they're worried and they're, you know, like they've got loved ones around them and. I don't know, or they're feeling the overwhelm. You know, most people are feeling overwhelmed because of COVID and stuff like that. So what are some of the first signs? Because your your absolute goal and your desire is to help somebody, help people recognise the first signs that they're experiencing a mental health crisis. So what are some of those first signs that people could look out for? I think uh, just not not feeling yourself. You know, we all know ourselves on, you know, a pretty good day or a pretty bad day. But if consistently over even a three or four-week period someone is feeling like below a five out of ten, like sadness or um, increasingly angry, um, frustrated, uh, not being able to cope with the the small things in life that they would usually cope with, um, maybe not wanting to go to work, pulling out of events, pull, pulling out of your usual social calendar, pulling away from people, wanting to sleep more, uh, poor um, appetite or eating just too much, you know. And, and, and I don't mean that, but sometimes people just eat too much and they and they don't want to look after themselves anymore, you know, becoming dishevelled and not wanting to shower. All these things are things that we talk about in the mental health first aid course too as signs that, that maybe we're not doing so well. So the asking yourself the question every day, out of 10, how do I feel, with 10 being really happy and zero being not. Mm. And if it's continually five or under, then... I would suggest going and seeing a doctor and just having a chat about how you're feeling because we anything under five is a concern. Uh, over, over a consistent period, yeah, yeah, because we all have the days when we're, you know, when we all have the days when we're, you know, feeling two out of ten. Yeah, yeah, you do, yeah, we have those days, but consistently after two or three weeks, if it continues... Yeah, do something. And write it down. You know, the statistics show that people that write 
down how they feel or talk about it, you've got to get it out of being here. So writing it down, if you don't feel like you can immediately talk to someone is a massive start, but talking to somebody that you feel comfortable with is vital to get the right support and the right help. Yeah. And I think even the act of writing it down, you you look back at it and you go, shit, that's not right. You know, that that's not that's not good. Yeah, ringing line or beyond blue um, or headspace, um, headtohealth.com.au is a government website which has so much information on depression and anxiety and how to get help as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that I'm gonna I will put put them as mentions in the um show notes so people can yep. click on them and get help. But and they can also come to you for support as well, which you know yep. I hope they do. If anyone's feeling like um well, Kerry gets me, do you know that that's a bloody good start? That's a really good start. So I have absolutely loved this. I I what if what a what a beautiful human being you are for a start. That's the first thing I want to say, Karen. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I, I mean it. You just, you know, uh, compassion and empathy and warmth and love just oozes out of you, and the world needs way more of that. So I'm just, I, I just want to tell you how much I love you for being like that. So thank you. Thank you. I love you too. I'm nearly crying now. <laughs> <laughs> I like cry all the bloody times. That's, that's so lovely. I I really appreciate those words so much. Well, they come from a an absolute place of genuine love because I think we we're not good at that we're not good at saying it we feel like an idiot if we say we love someone or if we say kind words and we've got to get past that because look at the difference it makes to people when we can speak that kind of truth so so thank you for being you um now I want to ask where people can find you and we've already said storiesofhope.com.au is the website or our info at empower e-m-p-o-w-e-r life solutions.com.au is my email address yep fab and 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 you will love to hear from people but kerry is also on linkedin um facebook under stories of hope and empower life solutions and also on insta so i'm gonna um don't do much on insta so people will be disappointed if they look (laughs) at me on instagram Oh, well, I'm still going to put the link. Yeah, no, go for it. It's all about the ones. You don't know what one person is seeking help on any one platform. And I can tell you from experience that some days you think nobody's paying attention. You know, you might not get any reactions. And that's why I say don't get on social media looking for reactions because I can have on on my Facebook on the Get Off The Bench page, I put the podcast up and hardly get any any reactions whatsoever, yet I get tons of messages telling me how they've listened to this podcast or that podcast, you know, and it made a difference and they, you know, and and pe- people start following all the people that, you know. So people are listening, people are watching, people are paying attention and people need to hear your message. So that's a good lesson for other people listening. For Christ's sake, post from your heart. Just post from your heart. Don't worry about the reactions. Just Put shit out there, and I don't mean shit. Put your stuff out there because somebody is watching. Somebody yeah. is watching. 
Kerry, I have loved this. You, you, you just, I'm not going to say it again. Well, I'm going to say it again. You're fucking beautiful. Um, you're just absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Um, thank you so much for your rawness, your honesty, and just for your vulnerability and, and caring so much about people that you, you're willing to really put your heart out there and make a difference in the world. I'd so appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Karen. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, oh, you're beautiful. All right, hopefully I'll meet you in person soon. I know, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, but I think I have to come up to you because it's warmer. Are you in Melbourne? No, I'm three hours out of Melbourne. Oh, right. Yeah, you have to come up to the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, <laughs> get warm. It's quite yeah, cold. But anyway, we'll, we'll make it happen. But thank you so much, Kerry. Thanks, Karen. Thank you and bye, everyone. See ya. See ya. Ta-da. Oh, guys, what a beautiful, beautiful human being. I think, you know, just listening to Kerry, it, it really inspires, uh, it inspires empathy, compassion. It just inspires you to want to just really see people for who they are and just truly, truly extend love. But I have loved this conversation and what a journey. I, geez, I nearly... I don't know what I know. Don't know what happened in my brain when she said about her mum and the washing machine. But my God, I, I just felt some. I felt terrible pain when she said that. And I think that people, you know, as human beings, we are bloody resilient. And and how we how we get through things, you know, it amazes me. But also, it's um, it's such a fascinating thing how how we all deal with things differently and. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, we all go through shit. We all have things that go wrong. Um, we all pretend to be tough and strong. We all wear masks. And, you know, what a better world it would be if we could just, um, you know, be a bit more vulnerable and a bit more compassionate. And, and you know, the, we, we worry about sharing our story, but there's always someone out there who feels the same as we do. And, it's uh, you know, I think it's a little selfish in some ways to keep it to ourselves. So, Anyway, please go and follow Kerry and reach out to her and, um, you know, storiesofhope.com.au and empowerlifesolutions.com.au. And I'm going to put those links in the show notes anyway. Please follow her on um, the socials and reach out to her on LinkedIn or whatever. And I really hope, really hope you got something out of that. So that's it for me. Um, again, thank you so much for joining me and uh, I'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode, just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.